0: In een hartelijke goeiemorgen, en daar kom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord, en pasal om 119, sê, woord is een lamp van my voete en een licht van my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraak laat om die waarheid te vind en licht te schijnen op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy mondlik kan worstel nie. Krijg dus gauw jou Bijbel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou, skrifteerlik. Klieg geloof vleels, ontdek die lewe saam met 657 AM. As easy as the touch of a button, the message of life on 657 AM. Time check for you. It's just gone six minutes after 11 o'clock and a warm hearted good morning from God's Footstool here in Kilner Park in Pretoria. Indeed, a privilege to be in your company as always on a Tuesday morning today, the 5th of September, Year of the Lord 2023. And uh, trust that you are well wherever you are. My brother in Christ, Rocky Stevenson. Good morning. Made it here safe this morning. Are you well, uh, Rocky?
1: Morning, very well, thank you. It's my little... Boys' uh, birthday today, four years old. So 5th of September is always a, a joy for us in our home.
0: Yeah, and it's still such a privilege. You can still, uh, uh, I almost want to say, like a little remote control. Send him with your eyes. Not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow my eyes. <laughs> and they're still obedient at that age, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and they can. <clears> I can <throat> have both my boys on top of me in the mornings, jumping on the bed, jumping on top of me. <laughs> you know, um, my six-year-old and my four-year-old. I guess that when they're 16 and 14, I'm not sure that's going to be no, happening any longer. No,
0: no that uh, that will come too by the grace <laughs> of God, so enjoy it. Precious times, and uh, please uh, give him a hug from all the listeners here at Radio Pulpit and saying, I hope you enjoy your birthday, my boy. Well, Simeon's father, uh, Pastor Rocky Stevenson, with us in studio, they, uh, the point of the spear, so to speak, in your program, uh, as you a question die the van die Here. This as jy volgende for the Eerste keer geskakeld is, hartelike goeie morgen, baie welkom, ons het vir jou gebid, en vertrouw dat jy in hierdie program iets sal kry, wat jy altyd sal byblij, dat jy hier ook met jou hart sal werk. So, as daar iets is, ergens in die Bijbel, wat nie sin maak nie, and believe in me, we've got some questions that... I had to look at them twice and say, wow, never thought of it that way. So this is the program. If you're struggling with something out of God's Word, it's what needs sin, mark me. We, uh, we don't claim that we have all the answers. The Word of God says we're looking as if in a mirror and uh, we walk away and we forget and it, sometimes it's veiled, we do not have all the answers, maar kan ek vir jou vraag, as jy volgend luister na hierdie program dat jy vir Rocky en vir ons al bid hier in die atelier, dat wat ons moet jou deel, nie die mens a superior opinie is nie maar Godse opinie, God's word undiluted, sometimes it's going to be hard, sometimes it's going to be difficult, but then again that's why we do programs like this, ergens het iemand iets gesê iemand uh, y- 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 het and it sounds so heilig. But do you know that doesn't even come close to God's word God help those who help themselves That is a false message That is false preaching mm-hmm. And so therefore it's imperative that we study the scriptures As you listen to this program this morning That you go and check the scriptures yourself To make sure that these things are indeed so Acts 17.11 says that So, you study up, WhatsApp Says Five seven, 729, as jy om gemis het ja, ons gaan dier die loop van die program gaan ons gereeld, daar die nommer gee, 0826572729 en uh, de, dan tik jy net die boodskap in die vraagje wat jy het, Bijbelse bybelse vraag, hoe dit ook al sê en ook die skrifgedeelte indien dit moendlik is, just add the scriptures it just makes life it's so much easier in studio to find it quickly, 10 minute weer 11, kom ons spring weg met die program, ons die vraag gekry wat sê, Matthew 1 Chapter 1, verse 1 to 16. Now we know immediately it's about the genealogy of Jesus. Of course, Abraham, Joseph, Second Samuel 7 and verse 12. The Davidic covenant that God says, I will raise up your offspring after you. We shall come from, listen to this, your body and I will establish his kingdom. This is referring forward to the coming of Christ, of course. But Jesus, listen to this question, did not come from the actual seed of these men in in this lineage. So, uh, not from the actual body. It was adopted by Joseph, who was the husband of Mary. So, the actual seed bloodline should be Mary's, not so. I know that uh, although hers is not outlined in the scripture like Joseph in Matthew 1, but uh, I have heard in sermons that hers also go back all the way to Abram. He the question, how can we say that he is the seed when it wasn't in the physical line of genealogy? What a brilliant question. What an excellent yeah. question. And I'm, not, I'm so glad I'm not in your chair right now.
1: Yeah, so a, how do a, we answer this, Rocky? Incredibly... Um, uh, complex. Actually, I, I at one stage did believe that there were two different genealogies in Matthew and Luke, and that Luke took the genealogy back to Mary and the genealogy in Matthew to Joseph. But that's actually not the fact. The fact is that both go back to Joseph and show him as the son of Joseph. Now, um, our Lord Jesus never ever opposes being called Son of David ever, and no. so that would be part of the the proof scripturally but the simple answer is that we accept this by faith and that's the simple answer which actually gives us more confusion to a degree because we always have minds that are questioning but we do see that in the genealogies that we have in the new testament this leads us back to to joseph not to to mary but mary is seen as a child of david herself within the scriptures although not explicitly stated But there is importance in regard to Joseph's legal lineage, because the genealogy in Matthew as well as in Luke traces that legal lineage of Jesus through Joseph. While Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus, as he's not from the seed of Joseph, he is the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she conceived. He plays that crucial legal role in Jesus' life as his earthly father, that uh, father by adoption as such. And that's significant because in the Jewish culture, legal inheritance as well as lineage were were that important biological descent from the father in that sense. And then in Mary's lineage, although Mary's genealogy is not explicitly mentioned in the New Testament, it is traditionally believed that she was of the lineage going all the way back to Abraham and also through David. And that is never opposed in the New Testament. And Jesus himself does not oppose that when he is spoken of as son of David. So that is the the strongest proof we would have is of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he is the way, the truth and the life. We know that he never lies. He never, ever corrects somebody and says, oh, wait, wait, hold on a minute. I'm not actually from David. You know, he is from David through Mary, she oh, herself right. being a Jew and a, and a Hebrew. But then there's also the fulfillment of prophecy because Jesus' lineage through Joseph, as recorded in Matthew, is essential for the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Back to Second Samuel 7 verse uh, 12, which says this, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up one of your seed after you, who will come forth from your own body, and I will establish His kingdom. And so we have got the Old Testament fulfilling that this same Jesus is indeed from the line of David. Otherwise, our Lord Jesus would never have been able to perform the miracles that he performed. He would not have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He would not have risen from the dead. If anything actually puts a cherry on top of the cake in regard to Jesus being of the line of David, it is his resurrection from the, from the dead. Right. And the fact that he is now at the right hand of the Father having been accepted, he will also rule from David's physical throne for that thousand-year reign of Christ. So the other significance even with this question that it brings out is the virgin birth because all that are born of the seed of Adam are born sinners. We see that in Romans 5. And the reason that our Lord Jesus Christ was born even in a sinless state without the curse of this, of, of sin is because he was born of the seed of Eve, which is the fulfillment of Genesis 3 verse 15, that from her seed. Now we know that woman does not have seed. She must have, she's impregnated by the a man, and therefore it is the seed of the man that that the man is born. And yes. all mankind has been born of the line of Adam, whereas Jesus, our Lord, goes back to the line of Eve. And I believe that that is one of the profound reasons that we don't have that genealogy, in a sense, to... to um, uh, let's say, Mary, there is an element that we accept this by faith, that she is of the lineage of David, of the lineage of Abraham. But in particular, this stretches all the way back to Eve and the fulfillment of the, what we we call the pre-evangelion, the pre-gospel in Genesis 3, verse 15. So there's great theological emphasis. The emphasis of Joseph's lineage in Matthew's gospel serves as that um, this highlight that Jesus' legal right to be the Messiah, he is actually the legal king and that's why when Pontius Pilate puts that plaque above Jesus head he's actually speaking the truth when he puts that plaque saying he has the king of the Jews
0: yeah because
1: he actually is the king of the Jews by lineage by right by legal code and he's a fulfillment of the Davidic covenant so it doesn't negate or diminish the significance of Mary's lineage which would naturally trace back to Abraham as well as to David. But I think that the biggest concept here is that concept of we accept this by faith, which is what we do in our Christian walk yeah. with God.
0: Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. One saw a bumper sticker that said that, and it holds true for this one as well. Die nommer as jy vraag het, 022-657, to hear. Oh, wait to 6572729. Send your questions in to the studio and we'll tackle them as they come in. One from Durban at the moment, fasting on a weekly basis, instilled by our church. Is this biblical? Why do we answer? It's a an anonymous listener. Why do we answer this person mm-hmm. instilled by the church? A weekly fast, uh, 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 fasting. What yeah. do we answer?
1: Yeah, I, I, I do want to be sensitive in answering a question like that because there is the autonomy of the local body. You know, so you have local churches with local elders, local deacons. There is a locality element to this, and I'm not sure of all of the history of that local church in regard to why are they calling for a fast once a week, there could be other elements behind it, like maybe there's a desire to actually take some of the money that you would have spent on food that day and use it towards the care of orphans or the care of widows. Or So there may be some other context that I'm not specifically um, akin to in regard to the message that we received, but we don't see any specific explicit mandate in the Bible for a local church to take a once-a-week fast approach. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that we don't see in the Scriptures. The Bible does mention fasting as a spiritual discipline, but it doesn't set specific frequencies like weekly fasting for us. But yes, a couple of biblical principles to bring to mind in regard to the fasting. Fasting in the Bible is mentioned throughout the Scriptures as a voluntary abstaining from food and sometimes drink, for spiritual purposes. And we also know that even First Corinthians 7, that there is the, the fasting of intimacy between a husband and wife, specifically for a short duration, in particular to focus on prayer as well. So there is even that physical fast in that sense. And it's often associated with seeking God's guidance, repentance, mourning, drawing near to him. Even I believe in the context of First Corinthians 7 would be actually f- to sort out if there's a trouble in the marriage even yeah. if there's difficulties between husband and wife what should they do should they just stop having physical intimacy for the sake of stopping having physical intimacy because i'm not going to love you right now because you're xyz no what that couple should do as Christians is specifically take some time to pray mm. and to search the Scriptures and then come back together so that the evil one will not have a place mm. there.
0: I'm reminded of uh, David fasting as well, eh, when the child was very sick. Um, yes. And, and the moment the child died, he washed his face and brushed his teeth and uh, sat down and ate, and he confused everybody in the in the, in the king's court, was, indeed, wasn't it? Indeed,
1: yeah. he He longed to possibly even change the mind of God, which, which by the way, uh, when you think about that Hebrew word, nachem, which means repentance, you got that right back in, in Genesis chapter six, how he repented for having made man when, yeah. he, when the flood yeah. happens. But you also see later on, and I've been studying the book of Exodus for a while. Our church has been going through the book of Exodus for a while. We're in Exodus 34. Back in Exodus 33 and 32, you have that worship of the golden calf. And God himself says to them well i 'm not going to go with you anymore yeah. i 'm not going i 'm going to remove my presence from you, but then God actually presents himself amongst the people of God as they repent as they turn to him, so our God, in that sense Repents when man repents. Yeah. If, if You know, it's a complex thought.
0: But fasting but, is not a means of but manipulating that, God.
1: No. Um, but, but David did believe that it was possible that God might change his mind in yeah. regard to the death of his child. Yeah. And when he saw that that punishment was brought to bear, that consequence of his sin, he continued to trust in God uh, nonetheless. And so he left that in the hands of the Lord.
0: Right thank you and uh, well the bottom line is it's not installed there's no a formula in the bible uh, on how it should be done but uh, rocky bless your heart thank you so much 21 minute oor 11 as vraag het die woord Here vir ons in 082657 Two year silver, two seven, Oh, Send it through to our studios, and we'll tackle those questions. Linda, it's Sunday. A question, please explain the divine nature of God, uh, Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one person, and why some people believe God is one in three. Uh, persons. Thank you so much. What do we answer Linda out of God's word this morning, Rocky?
1: Yeah, this is a this is complex, um but a a wonderful question and we I have dealt with this quite a bit in the let's talk series in regard to the triunity of God. I actually prefer the word triunity instead of trinity. I think that that's probably a better word for what we mean. There's a triune um aspect to it. Um, but uh, just to, to think through this, the Trinity or the doctrine of the Trinity is that three in one essence. And and again, I, I guess this segues well on on two questions or the last question. Wait, two questions back in that we accept this by faith based upon what the scriptures teach us. Throughout the scriptures, even starting in the, the Genesis account, we have the triune God present. We have the spirit of God over the deep We have the word of God by which God the Father even creates the the heavens and the earth. By Jesus, that creation happens. We have the triune God involved at every single aspect throughout the scriptural account. And this has then been put into a doctrinal or a theological terminology. And I think that's where some of this confusion sometimes comes about. The scriptures uphold the triune aspect of our God. And that doctrine teaches that God is one essence or substance, but exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and God the Holy Spirit, or referred to as the Holy Ghost.
0: 1 John 5 and verse 7.
1: Indeed. And and each person of the Trinity is fully God, co-equal and co-eternal, yet they are not three separate gods. And that's very important in regard to this. This is still monotheistic, biblically, biblical monotheism. We are worshipping one God, yet three persons in one essence. And they distinct persons who share the same divine nature. Now, When we think about one God in three persons, this this belief that we have that is so scripturally sound throughout the Bible in one God in three persons emphasizes that unity of God's essence while recognizing also then the distinct roles and the relationships within that Godhead. God the Father is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the Word made flesh, who is the redeemer of humanity. God the Father has desired to redeem mankind. Jesus Christ redeems mankind. God the Holy Spirit is the comforter and the helper sent to dwell within the believers. Now, God the Spirit himself has inspired the Word of God. The Word of God is God-breathed and the word of, and the holy spirit also illuminates the word of god and his purpose is to shine a bright light onto god the father's purposes that have been played out through god the son and then if we think about some of the historical background and that's maybe helpful for the listener as well this doctrine of the triunity uh, is a doctrine theologically that has developed it was there in the scriptures But mankind put his mind to it. He's thought about it. He put it down onto pen and paper, etc. And there was much grappling uh, with regard to the doctrine of the triunity of God and the nature of God as revealed in the scriptures. And it was solidified in some of the creeds, such as the Nicene Creed in AD 325, as well as the Athanasian Creed. Now, what happened with that in those church councils is that there was so much confusion amongst the church that many of the church leaders of that time or let's say the pastors of multiple congregations uh, got together and decided but let's put our heads together because there's there's falsehood that is abounding let's get back to the scriptures let's have a scripty look in ad 325 (laughs) and let's go look at what does the bible say about this and so as they studied the corpus of the scriptures they came together with the understanding of this this biblical doctrine and the athanasian creed Specifically affirms the Trinity as three persons in one substance, and so it's put to word some of this that we accept by faith within the Scriptures. There are some alternative views, and all of these alternative views go into uh, cults or, um, or or sects. And as soon as you have, as you as you struggle with this, as soon as you move away from the triunity. Of God, you actually go in a, in a very dangerous direction. Some individuals and groups, like Unitarians, reject the, the tri unity doctrine and they believe in a strictly monotheistic God. And their strict monotheistic God is only that one person of the tri being God the Father. So, and then they would view Jesus and the Holy Spirit as distinct from God and subordinate in that sense. And that view is non uh, Trinitarian and non Orthodox, and non Biblical.
0: So he, here's the thin ice then. When one comes to the knowledge, if one is spiritually rebirthed, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, um, you know, do we agree as believers on the uh, tri unity of, of our Lord? Or, or, or does God explain it with us as we grow in our in our Christian walk? Or. Can you be born again or not born again uh, if you believe in a monotheistic God and, and say,
1: yeah. Yeah, and that's you, a good, you see that's the, the, a good point tr- the point yes. that I'm trying to make. And, um, and, and we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, yep. in Christ alone, by the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. We are not saved by our theology. However, yes. as we are filled by the spirit of God, who is the spirit of all wisdom and knowledge and the God of all truth, which we receive when we are born again. And what happens at that born-again moment, we know that according to Romans 10, if we confess Jesus as Lord with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, such a one is born again. When you come to that place of realization that I am a sinner, I am undone, I need a Savior, Jesus is the Savior, and what the Bible says about Jesus as Savior in regard to his person, his words, his work, this is, this is the truth. I'm going to believe this. If you believe that in any shape, form, or way, and you've come to a saving knowledge— in the finished work of Jesus, these doctrines will grow in you. Even if you were on a deserted island somewhere just with the Bible, you wouldn't even need a teacher because you'd have the Holy Spirit in you who illuminates the Word of God for you. And so that journey of sanctification should not be mistaken for what happens at salvation. And and you do have something that's called positional sanctification. That means that you're saved in Christ. You're under His covering. But then there's that progressive element where you will grow in your knowledge of the truth. This is one of the reasons that even at Benoni Bible Church we don't make membership very complex um it's actually quite a simple process if somebody is a professing believer that is with their mouth they profess jesus is lord they believe in their heart that he is risen from the dead we check with their testimony you know what do they believe regarding the gospel have they truly come to accept the true gospel but we we base that upon their professing profession and then have they been baptized as professing believers are they willing to obey jesus That's the critical point, because if you're willing to obey this, you will start to have that mentality of, well, the Bible says it. I believe it. And that is what then starts to shape you. So you might not have all the words. You might not know oh, what's the difference between Unitarianism and Trinitarianism. You won't know necessarily all of that. But as you grow and as you appreciate God's word, his word is more than sufficient and more than enough for us.
0: Bless your heart. Thank you so much, Linda. hope that answers it for you. And like Rocky rightly said, he did a whole talk on that in Let's Talk. That's Mondays to Fridays, uh, memorable Mondays, Theology Tuesdays, Wisdom Wednesdays, Technical Thursdays, and absolutely fantastic Fridays. Don't miss out on that. That's in a quarter past eight in the morning, every morning, Monday to Friday. Christo, thank you so much. We have just made reference of uh, certain beliefs, and he says, Rocky, let me just check with you uh, on Christo's one there, and he says, the husband is to be the prophet. The priest and the king of his household. I've got a question that I'd like to add to that Christo, if you don't mind. Uh, Do we find that uh, exactly written down like that anywhere in God's word, where it says, you and I, the husband, are king, priest, and prophet, or prophet, priest, and king? And then Christo says, what does this mean, comma, given that the gift of prophecy, in inverted commas, does not function anymore? Uh, do we have an answer out of God's yeah, word? Yeah, for we that? do.
1: Um, Christo, thank you. That is a great, a, a great question. And um, just to answer Venon's question as well, and I think that's the reason he's asked it, is that there's no explicit place in the New Testament that actually says to her husband that you are to be the prophet, priest, and king. Now, what we need to realize is that our Lord Jesus is the grand fulfillment of prophet, priest, and king. Now, we are to be uh, like the Lord Jesus in many respects, and so therefore there can be imposed or superimposed that idea of how was Jesus And he fulfilled these offices. So how do we be like Jesus in our homes in regard to our wives? And the place that we would go to to see that is in Ephesians 5 verse 25 onward where it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. So now there's obviously other places within the scriptures as well that teach us to be the the kind of husbands that we would be. But this concept of the man being the prophet, the priest and the king in the home is a theological framework. We must understand that that many Christian traditions use to describe the roles and the responsibilities of the husband and the father within the family. So it's not explicitly spelled out in the Bible but it's derived from certain biblical principles and passages. And he has a bit of an overview, which I think is helpful to then understand some of this and how this can play out within the home. As prophet in the home, if you take in this element, in that context the husband is seen as the spiritual leader and the teacher of his family. He is to take them to God's word. Now there are two different kinds of prophecy there is the foretelling prophecy, but there's also the fourth telling prophecy. In particular, this would be in the fourth telling. You take them to what the Bible says. yes, what the Bible teaches. We're going to, as a family, I'm going to lead my family in God's word. Then you would be fulfilling something of that, let's say, broad inverted commas prophetic element. He's responsible for leading the family in the study of the scriptures, in prayer, and in spiritual guidance. And this role then is often associated with the maturing the family spiritually and their growth that they have as a family and then nurturing that within the home in the priest element the husband is seen as the, the spiritual mediator in a sense for the family now this is where we would also again say but there's a caveat because as new testament believers we are all a priesthood of every believer we do not have a priest in the home in the sense of somebody that now mediates between that family and god however the husband is to be praying for his wife, he is to be praying for his children, but he's not that link between that that family and god um even in christ there's there's neither male nor female in that sense, yes, as it comes to the the relationship that there is between your wife and God through jesus christ there's that equal dignity um there's separate roles, and the husband does play a specific role in that sense. You know, but he is to pray for his family. He is to seek God's guidance. He is to represent the family's spiritual needs before God. He ought to be a man of prayer in that sense. And many have said, "Well, the priest of the home." You know, in a sense, yes, but in another sense, it's no. But 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 you you get the point. And then king, you know, the husband is considered the head of his household. Is the head of his home. He's responsible for the providing and for the protecting of his family. These are biblical concepts. This role includes making decisions for the welfare of the family, ensuring their physical well-being, establishing a loving and orderly home. So there's areas of kingliness in regard to this. But I think if we take this to the extreme, he is not an Old Testament king. He is not an Old Testament prophet. He is not an Old Testament priest. But there is areas of that kind of a ministry that we see playing out, but we've got to be careful to take it back to our Lord Jesus and the way that he is. When it comes to this idea of prophecy um, no longer functioning, um, we've got to, again, think through it biblically. In regard to the New Testament, we have a complete, fulfilled, finished canon. There's no further books that are added to it. So that is correct. That sense of prophecy, that foretelling prophecy has ceased, but there's a foretelling. Thus says the word of God. This is what I'm going to stand upon. Let me give you chapter and verse, and that is very critical. Somebody might come to you and say, hey, I have a prophecy. Say, okay, great. That's great that you have a prophecy. Where's the chapter and verse? Let's get back to what the scriptures say, and we must test everything. Like those Bereans that were actually commended by Paul. He said they actually... Uh, Luke commends them because he writes about it in Acts. Yeah. So not Paul, but, but Luke commends them. Yes. And he says they were no- more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, Thessalonica yeah. because they greeted God's word eagerly, but then they searched the Scriptures to see, are these things true? Because even the Apostle Paul was still to be held accountable to the Old Testament Scriptures, and and yet he was writing 13 books of the New Testament. Everything that Paul has written in the New Testament actually can be backed up by the Old Testament. And so can the rest of the, the authors of the New Testament. All 27 books are, are, are shedding light on truths that are already there in the Old Testament. It's all in line with one another.
0: Right, Christo, hope that answers it for you Thank you my brother, dankie dat jy luister na skriftierlik En saam met ons keir, eh, dit is a groot voorrecht Om jou dan ook te kon antwoord op hierdie manier Uit die woord van die heren. Right, let me give you a number If you want to take part in this program Here it is, it's 082-657-2729 82 657 Two seven two nine. Send it in and can I ask you a sideline remark, just add the scripture if possible uh, that you're not clear about, of as you ask a lifestyle about, say my net for us, what the problem is and how you come there, 0826572729 Scriptural until uh, 12 o'clock this afternoon in says we have to play some music as well and we'd like to uh, submit to the authorities uh, with our broad Casting regulations. Abe and Alida Menges, a song that says, When the roll is called up yonder. One simple question. Will your name be on that roll? Can you testify? My name is on that roll in the book of life. It belongs to the Lamb of God. Can you testify to that? Yeah, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Are you one hundred percent sure of that this morning? Twenty minutes? 212. Yeah, your spiritual home on air. Your daily companion Ready Bubi. Good morning to you. Welcome to Scriptural. Skriftelik tot 12 uur het nog so uh, het vir my 12 minute wat ons saam kan kuier in skriftuurlik. Kry jou vrae in. Hier is die waarin jy dit stuur twee cijfer twee nul nulacht twee zesvijf cijfer twee cijfer twee nul en dan net die schriftgedeelte ook waarna jij verwijst Got a very interesting questions Ons gaan so met twee spreekwoordelike Ja, kom ons (laughs) Toen het nie die wereldse manierie Maar ons gaan twee vragen, een hanteer Die een van Nicolina of die ander een van Annie Steenkamp Kijk hoe ruk jou kop nou Annie Jy het nie gewet, ons gaan jou vragen breng nie En goeiemorgen, baie dankie vir die deelname Aan die program En wanneer jylle bid, moet jylle eers Mooi denk Markus elf 25, Mark 11 25, uh, en wanneer jy bid, moet jy eers mooi denk, of daar nie iemand is vir wie jy kwaad is, of met wie jy vast gesit het nie. Wanneer jy staan en bid vergeef, as jy iets tegen iemand het, so jelle vader wat in die hemel is, jelle ook jy oortredinge kan vergewe. Um, in Dan, Nicolin, this was your Knopf gedeelte, what you, gestured, you had asked can you let it like, And Dan, Annie's a It says, Our teacher said last Sunday that we should not pray for a corrupt government and a corrupt country. Uh, I pray every morning for our beautiful country, our president and his cabinet and uh, everyone in positions of uh, authority. What does the word of God say? And who do we pray for? Does the word give us instruction? Do we pray for everybody in government?
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, both questions asking on prayer, and that's why it's great, I guess, that we can lump them together in that sense. But there in Mark eleven twenty five, says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against them, anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you, your trespasses, your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, that is such a critical, critical verse and speaks about forgiveness. Now, in that context, we we are not to come to the Lord in prayer expecting that he would answer us at all if we have not forgiven those that we have any grudge against vengeance is mine declares the lord just like god's glory is his glory so vengeance is his and jesus encourages his followers to forgive others then pray holding grudges or or harboring anger towards somebody can hinder one's relationship with god and their ability then to 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 even Receive God's forgiveness in in, in close ties and, and and walking with Him in that sense, and then pray also with a clear heart. You know we have a clear conscience when we've forgiven, and when we approach God in prayer, it's important to do so with that clear and open heart. Even when it comes to is there somebody who's angry at us? Should we then go and we want to make right with our brethren? Now, of course, there's an area there that if we know that we have sinned against, if we know that we have wronged our brethren. We need to go and ask forgiveness. There are going to be people that are going to be angry with us as we are Christians in this world. We're not going to be able to appease everybody, but we need to have a clear conscience when it comes to our time of prayer before the Lord. And we must have that spirit of reconciliation because forgiveness is that essential aspect of the Christian's living. It reflects that spirit of reconciliation and the love that Jesus taught us. In Matthew 5, verse 23 to 24, Jesus there also emphasizes that importance of reconciliation. But yeah, in Matthew eleven twenty-five, we see that significance of forgiveness that we're meant to have. When it comes to the other question in regard to who should we pray for, uh, we're told, explicitly in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 to 2 and in in fact um, I just love the, the kind of questions that come through so often on look because so often I've just preached on these passages in the last three weeks I've been preaching from 1 Timothy chapter 2 from verse 1 all the way down to verse 8 I just did verse 8 on this last Sunday evening so if you want to go and see what I preached on that you're welcome to do that on the Benoni Bible Church um, either the uh, we've got sermon audio as well as the YouTube channel, but in particular, listen to what what it says in First Timothy chapter two, verse one to two. First of all, then I exhort that petitions and prayer, prayers, requests, and thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that they may lead a tranquil and so that they may lead that we sorry may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Now that was a that was a statement Second that, Timothy what? Yeah, sorry sorry, first Timothy chapter two, verse one to four is what I just read. Now what's so important about this is that we are urged to pray for all people. But this was a revolutionary statement by the Apostle Paul, because in the New Testament church time, as they began you know, when Paul wrote this there was something called emperor worship. Now the point of what Paul makes is actually just completely countercultural because in his day you would not pray for the king, you would pray to the king because of that emperor worship. Yeah. So in a sense this is this is a biblical non conformity that we see from the Apostle Paul in his writing in Timothy. But the point being that we actually commanded to pray for all those that are in authority. And we know that no authority exists apart from God allowing that authority and even granting that authority. There is legitimate and illegitimate ways of governing. We do see that in Romans chapter 13, for example. We see the purpose of why God has given a government, and that is to, to punish those that do evil and to uplift those that do good. That is legitimate governing. And now there is much corruption in our country. There's much corruption in our world. There's much illegitimate governing of the people. But yet we are commanded to pray for these people. And part of the purpose of this praying is that God wants all people to be saved. We should be praying in particular for the salvation of Mr. Ramaphosa and praying for the salvation of the cabinet, praying that even within this corruption God would raise up Daniels, that he would raise up Josephs, that he would raise up Esthers. You notice how God uses even those men that served in the courts of these foreign, um, these these pagan, uh, let's say, rulers, How God marvelously worked. I mean, you think about somebody like Daniel. Just before he gets thrown into the lion's den, and that is a fascinating passage to go and study and look at in regard to a question like this. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, and the king comes. He's anxious the whole night, but Daniel's all at peace. The king is all anxious and he comes down to Daniel and he cries out, did your God save you? And Daniel responds, he says, my God saved me because he knew that I was innocent before him and I was innocent before you, king. Daniel did not obey the king's command. He obeyed God's command and he continued to worship the Lord. That's how the Christian ought to be. And. Daniel never sinned against that king. That's a, Shadrach, wonderful, yeah, I mean, that's well. a wonderful Yeah, that's a wonderful example of what we see uh, in 1st Timothy chapter 2. We're to keep praying for our government even when what they do is if we wicked. Don't agree, yeah. Even when they do what we don't agree. And we must continue to do what the Bible says. Yeah. And I do think, Venant, that we're heading into a time of persecution uh, just globally as Christians. Mm-hmm. I think we've had a lot of peace and there may be persecution coming. What is the Christian's duty? It is to stand by what the scripture says. And we have we have a firm history of what we call biblical nonconformist. You know, biblical nonconformity looks like I'm going to do what God tells me to do. If you're telling me as the king to do something other than what God's word tells me to do, or to do something that God's word tells me not to do, I'm not going to do that. I've just um, been thinking through next week. Um, next week, Mondays. Uh, let's talk. And even there, we see in 250 A.D., the Christians that were were martyred because they refused emperor worship. You know, there at that time in 250 A.D., the Roman world expected that you would worship the Roman gods and the Roman emperor. And you would actually get a certificate, believe it or not. To tell whether you had done that worship or not, an offering of that incense or not. Yeah, produce these, your passport. And these mm. individuals said, we will do what God tells us to yeah, do in his yeah. word. And that is the firm conviction of the Christian. But the answer, in short, is what your teacher taught you was not biblical, not according to God's word. You're to keep on praying for those that are in charge. Pray for justice. Pray for conviction. Pray that God would raise up Daniels and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego's. Uh, is uh, you know Nehemiah's Esther's. I mean, just think about Esther's story as well. Oh, what a yeah. wonderful story of faith mm. in God.
0: Fantastic. Uh, bless your heart, Annie. Thank you so much. And uh, also, the other question that came in about uh, forgiveness—that your hearts must be clean. Nicoline, bless your heart for that one. Uh, we've got four minutes left in this program. time just absolutely flies. Jamie De Jong, someone who dies and never heard, n- never heard of Jesus what happens to him in the afterlife in the hereafter uh, i'm immediately thinking of romans 120 we use it every tuesday romans 120 so that nobody's got an excuse mm. what do you say sir what does the word of god say with regards to a question like this
1: yes and this is this also highlights even the importance i think of our need of sharing the gospel you know romans 10 comes to mind like they you 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 hear and therefore you believe but how are you going to believe if you haven't heard and how are you going to hear if there's not a preacher and how are you going to have a preacher if a preacher is not sent and so there is a sense where we desperately need to go and teach the gospel what i would say as a caveat is that god himself sends preachers We know that throughout the book of Acts. For example, somebody like Cornelius, a very interesting story in Acts 10. Cornelius being the first Gentile and his family to actually be saved, and God sends Peter to him. Now, that him and his whole household receive the gospel and are baptized. But it's interesting that that Cornelius found favor in God's sight before he was even born again, because he was a God-fearing man and he was praying to the God of Israel there was a there was a heart in him that was inclined towards towards what God had taught. And he sends Peter to share the gospel with him, and he receives the gift of the Holy Spirit and he is baptized in his household is baptized too. You have then earlier on, as well, another account in Acts eight, and that's why I think the Book of Acts is a wonderful book to go to in regard to a question like this. God sends Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch is busy reading. In Isaiah, and he doesn't know what he's reading, but he's reading aloud. And there's Philip next to his chariot. And Philip says, hey, do you know what you're reading? He says, how am I supposed to know without a teacher? Come on in, you know. And, and Philip starts to share that this is actually about the Lord Jesus. And, and the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved right there. And he gets baptized. The point I'm making is that God will reach an individual with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ when there's an individual that has a heart inclined toward him. Whether or not there is us preaching or not, God will do what God intends to do with the lost. And so what happens to an individual that has never heard about Jesus, never heard the gospel ever, not not at all knowing what the scriptures say, that individual, should they die without the gospel, they will die without hope and they will enter eternal life without hope. And I should rather say eternal death. There is a very real hell. But there is the witness of all of creation. And that takes us back to even something like Psalm 19. And as you mentioned in Romans chapter 1, all the heavens declare the glory of God. And the earth declares, it it tells us that there is a God. And there's something inside of the man that he knows. I need to be made right with this God. And is there going to be a searching after the Lord? And the Lord draws near to those that draw near to him. And so there is hope in that. I do, I do know that there is a tension in regard to the way that I've answered this question but that's the, the most biblically sound that we can give.
0: Right with that we have come to the end of a program. Bernardine, sorry we'll tackle your question next week if the Lord tarries. Good question there but we'll get to that next week. Time has, uh, unfortunately caught up with us Rocky, somebody wants to send you an email be in touch with you, uh, find out more about uh, uh, the Let's Talk or what we're saying here or it's got a question for you. Where do they get all? You're hey,
1: welcome to email me at Pastat Bible Church.
0: Pastor at Benoni Bible Za. Simple as that. And now there's a huge responsibility with you that listened to this program this morning. Acts 17 11 applies. Uh, and the Bible says, You have heard. Now go and search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. Till next time, next week, if the Lord tarries and he brings us together once again. Uh, pastor at benoni bible church dot co dot z a they're also on youtube and don't forget to catch, catch rocky mondays to fridays quarter past eight program called let's talk till next time keep well god bless you and shalom